Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, we're back with the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris. We're joined by my co-host, uh, Kartik Krishnayar. Kartik, we've got a lot to get to. Uh, before we get into all of that, I have a question for you. Why does it seem that anytime there's a, a tweet about ProRel, it's the same five to ten people that immediately within seconds you know, you can try to k- kill the conversation. ProRel will never work in, in Major League Soccer or will never work in the U.S.? You mean in light of, I don't know if you saw this, was it last week? HBO Max uh, got uh, revelations in terms of their executives were uh, sending out people to uh, post, uh, you mean, basically positive things about HBO Max and try to, you mean, try to uh, take over some some Twitter conversations. But why is it always the same five to ten people that, you mean, basically trying to, you mean, fight for, fight against ProRel? Yeah, it, it is the same. Uh five to 10 people. And then they always take the most extreme take by someone who might be for ProRel, but has no kind of perspective or nuance or business sense. And then they throw that in the face of anyone who advocates an open system. Uh, and they have these canned arguments. So it, it is quite annoying. Um, the entire conversation on Twitter is poisoned by this and really kind of uh, uh, dictated by people who have some sort of connection to MOS, whether they're part of an MLS supporters group, whether they maybe work in the league or maybe they aspire to work in the league. It seems to be, uh, there seems to be one um, common thread. And I even saw um, uh, Derek Gray posted something I thought very thoughtful about the Bundesliga the other day. And one of these usual suspects jumped into his comments and said, why are you such a Bundesliga snob? <laughs> right, it was an MLS person, right? One of the same people we're talking about, one of the same five to ten. So, um, you know, they don't like conversations about other leagues or, 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 or things that might be different. And the Bundesliga thing, it's more than pro-rel in that sense. They don't like the community ownership, the 50 plus one, right? Everything should be owned by a billionaire um, who then should get tax breaks from the citizens. And we should just be bowing uh, to those owners and thanking them for bringing soccer to our communities, right? That's the way it's supposed to work. Yeah, I, I find it funny because it's so obvious that uh, obviously, I mean, if you look at even if there are timelines in terms of that, that's all that they're writing about is trying to, it seems to be very purposeful in terms of their attempts 
who they work for, who knows, or if they have you know, so much time on their hands. I don't know. But that leads me into uh, on this week's episode, we discussed several topics, uh, including whether NWSL and USL is going down the right path or not, whether a new TV deals. Uh, we also share your feedback on VAR. We got a ton of it from the last week's episode where we talked about uh, is VAR ruining football or soccer. And last but not least, uh, we asked the question, if soccer is not on television, does it make a sound? Now, Kartik, um, probably the best place to start here is talking about the NWSL and USL uh, deals, TV media deals. We won't go into, I mean, kind of the nuts and bolts of it. We've got all of that information over at worldsoccertalk.com. But in the past week, both NWSL and USL have made major announcements about their TV and streaming coverage for 2024 onwards with media deals uh, with, new, with their new partners. Uh, as we've reported before, NWSL is going down the path of having its games spread across several major uh, media partners, including ESPN, CBS, Amazon Prime Sports, and ION, while USL is going with uh, CBS Sports and to be announced shortly, we believe ESPN as well as possibly YouTube. Now, NWSL's path to me, Kartik, it reminds me very much of. MLS 1.0 or maybe MLS 2.0. Uh, really, NWSL is copying the single entity model uh, that Major League Soccer has, and it's worked out really well for them. Uh, and N- NWSL's TV deal looks a lot like MLS of old, where it used to be that you'd have to, even games were across Fox Sports, Univision, and ESPN. And it was, you didn't know when, when the games were going to be on which channels. You really kind of had to work hard trying to find those. What's your overall analysis or impression about the NWSL deal in terms of having the games across as many as, it could be seven seven different uh, locations uh, for next year and for the next four years? Yeah, I remember when uh, MLS had matches, uh, one match a week on HDNet, uh, which was uh, not yeah, something I remember well. Those were actually good broadcasts, but... Um, uh, it just didn't make any sense. So, um, yeah, and I had some experience with this at NASL. We, and I was wrong, and, and we'll talk about this in the context of what USL is doing too, um, thinking that more exposure was better if you split up the package and you have random start times and you have some games on, uh, well, in Canada, on different partners, but then in the U.S., uh, split between uh one World Sports, uh, which later was taken over by Eleven Sports and BN and CBS, and then uh, random games on ESPN three, um, and it just it was very confusing, very very confusing for the fans, um, and that was something that I didn't anticipate. Uh, I think the other uh, senior management, senior staff at NASL didn't anticipate. It's something we learned the hard way. USL has gone the right direction with their unified package the last several years. NWSL finally had gotten away from this piecemeal thing, right? They had Copa 90 at one point. They had um, Twitch. Uh, Yahoo Sports, right? Showed NWSL yeah. games at one point. Um, <laughs> obviously, Amazon has been showing. Right. Yeah, Twitch via Amazon has been showing games in the past. We might have that again now. Then they finally unified under CBS and Paramount+. Plus. Um, 
Because even after they they began with CBS, remember a lot of games were going other places. Um, they weren't necessarily on all on Paramount Press. The the broadcast deal was with CBS. Now um, they're splitting the baby. Ion, um, I'm told, has done a very good job with the WNBA, so that's mm-hmm. probably appealing um, to NWSL. I, I assume that'll be one game a week. Uh, but then, what will be the streaming uh, component for that match? Uh, beyond uh, Ion, if you have uh, the wrong um, streaming uh, device, you may not get um, Ion, right? Uh, so, although I think most people get it. And then in terms of uh, ESPN, uh, is it ESPN Plus? Are the ma- matches that are on CBS networks not um, on ESPN Plus? Are they on Paramount Plus instead? And then we have the Amazon component, which, as I said, they've had before, which is now back. Um, This is very confusing. So we have to see the details. We don't know the details, but I I tend to think it probably is problematic. Um, And honestly, even with their unified CBS deal, the last couple of years, the start times have been all over the map uh, in terms of matches, uh, which um, I think is another problem. And that's something MLS to their credit, has solved with their Apple deal, although we'll get more into Apple, obviously, later in the show. Yeah, the Amazon part of it, so the NWSL, I think, I believe is 20 to 27 games are going to be exclusive to Amazon. It's going to be Amazon Prime Sports. So you have to have a subscription to Amazon Prime in order to watch those matches. Now now and again, they'll offer a free trial of Amazon Prime, but, I mean, I have Amazon Prime. I'm guessing, Kartik, you may have Amazon Prime. Yeah, I do. You mean like you mean it, it's for a lot of people it's necessary. You know, I mean, especially the holidays and birthdays, and it has bailed me out a bunch of times. But there's a lot of people out there too that can't afford Amazon Prime or, or don't want Amazon Prime. So that that's just one example. I mean, having some of these games on CBS Sports Glasgow Network is great. Uh, having those available for free. But we saw this particular weekend, Kartik. I'm not sure if you caught this, but um, somebody on, tw- on Twitter. I think it was Aram on Twitter pointed it out. So I was excited about the NWSL final. Uh, I watched it on CBS, my local CBS channel. Great game, really good game. I, I thought this was a really fantastic example of how good NWSL can be uh, in this final. But the person Aram had mentioned, one of our listeners and, and, and uh, readers, mentioned that the game wasn't on Paramount Plus. Although I had seen it advertised on Paramount Plus all week. It's going to be Paramount Plus and CBS. Well, what it was is, yes, it's on Paramount Plus, but only if you have the Paramount Plus uh, Plus Showtime uh, package, yeah, yeah, which is yeah. 12 bucks a month. Yeah. I have Paramount Plus. I wasn't able to get, to get the game to watch it through there. So they've added that as another obstacle in the path of having to, being able to watch the game. Now, next season, there's not going to be a lot of games on Paramount Plus for NWSL. But there's just one example. We talked about last week, too, that I think um, oh, the, the USL game, right, as far as it's being on ESPN or ESPN2, but wasn't on ESPN+. Plus. At the end of the day, it makes it harder for soccer fans throughout the United States to figure out when these games are on. For us at World Soccer Talk, it's actually probably a, a bonus because we have all of the TV schedules and the apps and all the information about where to watch the games to try to make it easier, to try to simplify it for people. But for next year, for those people that are more casual fans or are not aware of World Soccer Talk or don't have our app, 
it's going to be harder to watch those matches. What about what about USL? I mean, USL is a little bit easier with their games on a few networks. I mean, it's still to be finalized. Um, but will USL, will that be an easier path, Kartik, next year? It'll be a harder path than it's been this last few seasons. Last few seasons, every USL match has been on an ESPN network, right? Uh, now we've learned the last two weeks that uh, some matches that are on ESPN, uh, 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 linear channels don't show up on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, and that was a real um, inconvenience last weekend for the, for the uh, League One final. I don't know about I haven't heard any complaints about last night's game, the championship final, which was on ESPN2 in prime time. So I'm thinking maybe it was on ESPN Plus also. I probably should have checked and I didn't. Um, I, I do think, though, uh, USL fans have gotten accustomed to all the matches being there. And then if there's a local station in their market that's covering USL t- uh, teams, for example, in South Florida, it is the CBS affiliate that shows Miami FC games, then, um, and I guess that would be seamless with USL now putting games on CBS, but there are only a hundred matches a season as part of this USL CBS deal, a hundred matches, 75 on, uh, on the Golasso channel, uh, 20 on CBS sports network, five on CBS over the air that leaves by my, uh, calculations, probably about 500 matches, uh, between League One and and uh, USL Championship that are left for another package, whether it's ESPN or um, YouTube. And I have to say, I, I maybe we'll get more into this in another episode, Chris. Um, there are some significant rumblings. Uh, being in Florida, being kind of connected in the government relations, political world, I, I, there are significant rumblings about Disney's streaming side. So I think by the time the NWSL season starts, uh, and by the time the new USL season starts, ESPN Plus or Disney's entire streaming uh, world might look different. Um, it's not a coincidence Disney has decided to buy out uh, the remaining 33% NBC Universal owned of Hulu this past week. So just keep an eye on that space. We might be talking about some other streaming platform owned by Disney uh, streaming these games, these soccer matches in the future. So um I think it'll be more complicated for USL fans. They're going to have uh, to know whether their matches are on CBS or on whoever the other rights holder is. And I don't think there's going to be any overlap. And my understanding, uh, you may be hearing differently, but my understanding is Paramount Plus are not going to pick up the other 500 or so games. It's going to be someone else. So um, that's going to get us into a situation like NWSL like NASL used to be and like MLS was prior to this year where start times might be different. We don't know uh, what network the game is on and it might create some confusion. Somehow or other, Kartik, I, I almost long for the days of uh, Fox Soccer Channel and ESPN2. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much simpler, right? On a weekend, I mean, most of us would watch Fox Soccer Channel all weekend long, right? On a, on a Saturday morning, you'd have one of the Bundesliga games. And then maybe you'd have a you know, you'd have a Premier League match, and then they maybe have an Argentine match, and then maybe a La Liga match, and then ESPN two would have maybe a Champions League one Champions League game on a Tuesday, and 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 so you didn't have access to everything, but it was a lot simpler. We were all watching pretty much the same games, and in some ways it was more enjoyable, right? Yeah, yeah. For sure. And I, I think the other thing about that era is the conversations were more free and there wasn't all this tribalism because we were all watching the same games. Uh, there yeah. were the two, two Champions League games on a week, midweek. And then, uh, yeah, there would be uh, um, 
uh, more Premier League than other leagues, but you get the same La Liga games, the same Bundesliga games, same Serie A matches. Uh, Serie A bounced around, right? Because they they were club by club. So uh, that Serie A was always confusing until recent years, right? Because the Milan rights were on one channel, but the Juventus rights were on another. Remember those days? Oh, um, yeah. So that, that that was the one league that was confusing, but everything else was much simpler back then. So, so things are more complicated now, but we do have more access to games than ever before, right? So as a Swansea City supporter, I can watch every single match, pay a king's ran- ransom for it. But if I wanted to, <laughs> I could watch that. You as a Man City fan can watch every single Man City game, so on and so forth. You go, you go down the list. Practically every single game is available if, if someone wants to watch it, which gives us more freedom in many ways to really kind of watch what, what we really, really want to watch our favorite team or teams. Um, but at the same time, though, Karnatik, it does make it more confusing for a lot of people. Um, and also, I think the other thing, too, like, like I was saying before, too, we're not all watching the same thing, right? We're all watching different games. And if you take that combined audience and put it all together, uh, I'm sure it's a massive number. But one of the, I mean, the title of the show this week is If Soccer Isn't On TV, Does It Make A Sound? Now, we talked about how complicated the NWSL deal is. We talked about how the USL deal, uh, not as complicated, but it's, fans are going to have to jump through more, more hoops and hurdles to actually watch the matches. Then you have something on, on the other side of things, which is Major League Soccer uh, and, and the Bundesliga, right? Two, two examples of leagues that completely, 100% of those games are available on streaming. So MLS season pass. There's no question. You just go to MLS. I mean, MLS games. You go to MLS season pass. You get every single game. That confusion is eliminated completely. Uh, the Bundesliga. Every single game is on ESPN Plus. Uh, even if some of the games now and again are on ABC or or maybe an ESPN two if you're lucky or ESPN Deportes. But every single game is on ESPN Plus. Those are much simpler methods to watch games. Um, and you would think, Arctic, then the audience would grow, right? The audience would, would gravitate to those areas. That's what they want is something simpler. However, you know, what's happening What's ha- happening in the real world, Arctic? Are you hearing much about MLS? Are you hearing much about the Bundesliga? Because they're not on television. No, for the no most, one for the, most part, for the most part. Yeah, no one knows. So, uh and and it's also a, a component of Apple versus ESPN. I think the Bundesliga is just off people's radars completely uh, because this does not apply to La Liga. And let me explain. La Liga, uh, you will have El Clasico like we had a few weeks ago. And the entire week, ESPN will be running the El Clasico ads during their college football broadcast, during whatever else they're showing in the little in the corner, which does say it's on ESPN Plus, but it's being advertised uh very aggressively on linear espn during other sporting events not even just soccer but things that get better ratings get more viewers so i don't think this applies to la liga and 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 i've seen um the the very limited viewing of espn i'll watch more of espn now because college basketball season has, has started uh the very limited viewing of espn i do their linear channels they're uh they they are aggressive in promoting la liga um MLS has a, a, a Bundesliga has a problem because I guess there's just not enough interest for ESPN to justify taking a corner of a screen during a college football game and saying uh, uh, Leverkusen versus Dortmund this weekend, right? It's a waste of waste of space, right? So uh, they're promoting UFC, they're promoting La Liga, as I said, they're promoting other things, but not Bundesliga. 
but with Apple, um, I'm frustrated to say this because I, I mean we're fans of how Apple has presented MLS. Um, this is the least buzz and least interest I personally have had. I, I've personally have heard and I personally have had about the MLS playoffs since the league began, since before '96. So even in that period between 2002 and 2006, when MLS uh, was in a relatively dark place, right? Uh, there was consolidation. Phil Anschutz had to buy a bunch of teams to, to uh, save them. The Florida teams were contracted. Um, there were fewer games. Uh, ABC didn't show games at all. The games were all dropped to ESPN2 uh, in that period. There was still buzz because it was on ESPN or it was on Fox Soccer Channel, right? Wherever it was. HDNet, I mentioned also. Um, now, nothing. If you're in the Apple ecosystem, MLS is in your face. In fact, uh, um, I think there's some Apple TV um, uh, interfaces where there's a tab which will say, like, watch now, and then there's an MLS tab. So they're being really aggressive about it. But mm -hmm. Apple TV has the fewest uh, subscribers of any... I, I think Peacock is, is, is as low, actually. Uh, but uh, has, has, uh, has about the fewest uh, uh, subscribers in the U.S. Now, I, I can't speak... I don't, I'm not, I don't know global numbers. I'll, I'll admit that. Um, but um, its numbers are at the bottom of, of all of these mainstream streaming platforms. And I think all, if you're not on that platform regularly, you're not getting MLS promotions. And um, Fox has no interest in promoting MLS now. That's obvious. So there's a lot of big sporting events on Fox where in the past they would be promoting the MLS Cup playoffs. They're not. And ESPN, obviously. I mean, ESPN, I, don't, I, I assume they still run MLS scores on the ticker. That's probably the extent of their, their coverage. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's like if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, that's kind of where the MLS Cup playoffs are this year. And I think it's compounded, Chris, by the fact that we're talking about NWSL's final on linear over-the-air CBS in prime time on a Saturday night. We're talking about USL having two successive finals from their two professional leagues uh, on ESPN networks on consecutive weekends, and MLS is off television. So it's not even just relative to European leagues. It's relative to the leagues that are less popular, that are domestic-based. So that's, uh, although, who knows, maybe MWSL isn't less popular than MLS at this point, but let's just assume it is. They are seeding some of their domestic market, too, uh, with this Apple situation. Yeah, as far as the Major League Soccer playoffs, the only people that I see that are talking about it, honestly, when I look at, on social media, are MLS employees. So they're, <laughs> they're, they're announcers, right? It's, it's Max Bredos, Taylor Twelman, Eric Krakauer. You could done the list. It, no, in my in my circle, no one is talking about the MLS uh, playoffs unless they're an MLS employee. So you you take the MLS employees out of the equation, it's it's it's. You know, so it's compare that to the not, NWSL happening. final. There was a lot of buzz. Now, whatever you think of the politics of of uh, yeah. Megan Rapinoe, a lot of buzz because it was her final game. A lot of buzz even among soccer people. Uh, because of Ali Krieger, uh, it being her final game. So this reminds us that there were personalities associated with the women's game in the United States and also the, 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 the long-term success of the U.S. women's national team, uh, you know, forgetting this last World Cup, but previous success, that can drive coverage and interest in a single women's game that you will not get on the men's side in MLS unless Messi's playing.
That, that's that's the bottom line. And I think we yeah. learned that this week. I, I'm anxious to see the the numbers from uh, from uh, Saturday night. I'm sure they'll uh, be huge. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah sure. I think they're going to be good. I think I think you have to have both of them. You have to have linear television, regular television, and then streaming partnering together to to broadcast these games to make them available. So NWSL is a great example. The Premier League is a great example. Uh, Serie A is a good example too, as far as having some of those games. Less so, but some of those games on CBS Sports Network and, and of course Paramount Plus, MLS season pass. Those games are also available sometimes, a very limited number on FS1, um, sometimes Fox to, Fox to Cortez, but no one's really watching those games on those channels. Yeah, and I'm concerned, just as an aside, I'm concerned about Serie A because um, if the numbers were really good, they would move a few games to CBS over the year. They show the willingness to move NWSL. Well, there are lots of NWSL games on CBS over the year, but now yeah, we're going to have point. five USL games on CBS over the year, and we're in year three of the Serie A contract, and they've never moved a match. Um Maybe they see it as a CBS Sports Network property. I can understand that from a marketing standpoint. But, I mean, I would love to see uh, Derby de Italia. I'd love to see Juve versus Inter, uh, especially as good as Inter is this season. I'd love to see that match on C- on big CBS, and, and we haven't had that yet. Yeah, and this is not just us criticizing Major League Soccer and just putting them kind of in the corner uh, as, you mean, basically is kind of, a, you mean, it's not working for them. I'd say the same thing about the Bundesliga. I love the Bundesliga. Kartagan, you love it even more than I do. Yeah. I mean, in terms of everything from the atmosphere, in terms of the way that the clubs are run, the history, the ownership, the stadiums, the television production, I mean, the players, the football. I mean, so there's so many things riding for it. And it just seems that over and over again, that just outside of the hardcore Bundesliga fan base, there's very little interest. And the more I think about it too, Kartik, it's nothing against the Bundesliga at all. But I think what we're seeing is almost complete domination by the Premier League. On an average weekend, I mean, most most soccer fans probably, even some of the hardcore fans, probably are watching two games a weekend or maybe three games a weekend. We're probably watching even double or triple that uh, from different leagues from around the world. But for most people, they're watching maybe maybe two games a weekend, maybe one game on a Saturday, one game on a, on a Sunday, or maybe 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 a third game there. And with the Premier League overlapping directly against the Bundesliga, the Bundesliga gets completely pushed aside, and all those games are on ESPN Plus, right? So if you're you're not going to see many games on on, on an ABC or or uh, ESPN or ESPN two, it's it's pretty much they're in the corner, they're they're doing okay. But that's how I see Major League Soccer now is they're in that corner. Fox is not having zero impact on on mainstream America. People are not kind of finding an MLS playoff game. Um, no one's really talking about the MLS playoffs. And but me personally, Kartik, I don't think so much it's the the TV side of it, which is definitely a component. But what's there to talk about in terms of the games themselves, or even just the playoffs, the structure? You I mean if if there is an amazing game or an amazing matchup where I'm like, I should genuinely i'd be really excited i would figure out what channel it was on and i would watch it and i have mls season pass and i watch some games now and again but there's nothing really that's that's pulling me in to say hey chris you got to watch this game this is going to be dynamite yeah i agree and this is uh part of mls being so safe actually it's not just uh, mls it's american men's soccer 
it's U.S. soccer being so safe in personalities. And, and they, the Clint Mathis types, they've never embraced, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I know I'm going back two decades, but I, 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 there are very few, like, very controversial, edgy American players you can you can embrace. Uh, Jermaine Jones uh, is a more recent one. Obviously, he was born in Germany and raised in Germany. Um, uh, although now he's coaching in the USL, so that'll be fun next year um, with him as a coach. But there are very few of those edgy personalities that get you interested in the matches. Whereas on the women's side, that's not the case. Right. I, I mean, that's why I think the number will probably be very big when we see the overnights. We're taping this Monday morning. We haven't seen them yet. But when we see the the the, the numbers for um, the NWSL final, which was in prime time on CBS over the air. Yeah, I think that there's a lack of interest also because of no Messi, no other superstar and the great stories like the St. Louis's being out. Um Yes. You know, these playoff formats are, anno- are, are annoying. I mean, I, I, I'm telling you, I'm annoyed uh, the morning after the USL final that Phoenix, who I thought were very fortunate to make the playoffs and, and I feel like uh, uh, weren't a very good team this season, um, won the USL championship because they got hot in the playoffs. They won a bunch of road games. Um, and they went to Charleston last night, uh, sat back for most of the match, got a late equalizer, and then got it to penalties and fell behind in penalties and then... Charleston bottled it late. So um, that you might have great stories in regular seasons that then go away in playoffs because of the, the format. And USL certainly uh, had some great stories this season. And those teams, Pittsburgh, um, uh, Sacramento, they were eliminated uh, in the playoffs. Uh, uh, Pittsburgh very early. And then same thing in MLS. St. Louis was the story. Eliminated right away. So um that's part of the problem, honestly. I mean, this is yeah. this goes back to the whole thing about playoffs, unfortunately, um, which uh, that's a conversation for another time. But it just people say, oh, you need to have the spectacle. I understand that side of it. But uh, and it's not just me advocating a meritocracy, which is what I often do with ProRel and, and with uh, wanting to have uh, balanced schedules and, and, and not have playoffs. But it's also your best stories often are the teams that uh, overachieve, punch above their weight, and achieve something during the regular season. And when they're getting eliminated in the playoffs, you're losing your story. You're losing your context. Um, our views of MLS historically are skewed by the playoffs, right? We're, we're never talking about Supporter Shield winners. We're not talking about the great seasons Chivas USA had, for instance. We're talking about the fact that Houston, as a lower seed, would win would, would win the West and then win, win the title. We're not talking about... Uh, DC United's 2006 and 2007 teams as two of the greatest teams in MLS history, which they were, because they lost in the playoffs, even though they had run away with things during the regular season. So uh, I think the whole thing bothers me, to be honest. So maybe I'm not the appropriate test case. But that, I think, hurts the context of the stories, the story building. St. Louis were alive in the in the MLS playoffs. I'd be paying more attention. I'm going to be perfectly right. honest with you. Yep. They're getting eliminated just kind of said, okay, I don't need to bother anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I think there's a, there's a combination of factors. I mean, having games exclusively on a streaming service uh, can be a negative, at least at this point in time, just because we're not all completely cut the cord yet. Uh, having games on national television. So if some of these MLS playoffs were on Fox, it would make a slight difference. You mean it would make maybe more more accessible for a lot of people. I know there's a lot of MLS fans that are not watching these MLS uh, Cup playoffs because their team's out. 
And you mean, do they subscribe for another month of MLS season pass? Or do they just say, you know, my season's over, I'll, I'll come back next year? I think the big question is, what does Apple and Major League Soccer cook up for next year, for 2024, in order to, to keep those viewers, you mean, watch, subscribing, really, that's what it comes down to, subscribing, getting excited about the new season, and hoping that they subscribe for the entire season for that $99 a year package. Um, I'm sure they're thinking about, okay, we have to sign some major players that are going to have that type of, it's not going to be a messy impact, but it's going to, it's going to make people sign up just for the player itself. There aren't that many of those available and, and those that are available again, come at major price tags. What else does major, major league soccer do Kartik, to, to really short term to try to, I think you have to have super clubs. I mean, this is the thing about, um, European leagues, it annoys me that you have the same teams winning constantly, right? Don't get me wrong. I mean, that that to me is a detriment. Uh, although I think uh, uh, recently we've seen more competitiveness in Serie A. Uh, the French league is really interesting this season. Uh, so far, it's early. But um... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Inter-Miami has to be that club that everybody hates because they've mm-hmm. got Messi, because they have Busquets, because they have Alba, because they might have Suarez. Um, yeah. And then you have to build it around that and you have to hope they or, – or you need a pantomime villain. So I mentioned 2007. DC United uh, – 2007 DC United team, one of the best teams in MLS history in my opinion. They lose in the playoffs to Chicago, who was the last team to get into the playoffs, the bottom team. Um, I didn't like the fact that a one, an eight beat, it wasn't eight versus one in those days. It was whatever, right? The top, the top seed lost to the bottom seed, but the bottom seed had Cuauhtémoc Blanco. Cuauhtémoc mm-hmm. Blanco was a pantomime villain, a guy you love to hate. Yeah. Um, and so you have to have those personalities uh, that drive the conversation. So if one of these teams had that personality, but it seems to be neutered out of them in MLS. Um, the the personality side of it. So you need personalities 
and you need a super club. Inter Miami might serve that super club purpose. It may not be about signing uh, Neymar. You know, I'm disappointed they didn't sign Neymar or Benzema or any of these big stars uh, that have gone to Saudi Arabia. Neymar in particular, I think, could have helped. But um, now you have to look for guys with personality. Rafael Vicky was a guy we had in this league many, many years ago. Guy with lots of personality, then managed in the league. You need people like that. I, that's just one random name that came to mind, but you need those kinds of people. If you're not going to sign superstars, sign controversial uh, players. But MLS and U.S. soccer as a whole generally don't like those guys. Right. Uh, USL doesn't like those guys either. So it's not just an MLS thing. It's a U.S. soccer on the men's side. You you shy away from those controversial figures. And I think that ultimately hurts the appeal of the product. Yeah, I think the other thing, though, too, Kantik, is that you have so many teams, right? you got 29 teams, soon to be 30 teams. So even if you have one team that's a super club, that's the one that everyone loves to hate, that that you mean that that's one of, of almost 30 teams that, that's... You, you need to have a few of those, you mean, because there might be some weekends where, you mean, it's just lost in, in a cloud of other games and other teams. Uh, I think you need to have more of those. But... Um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Maybe we'll do a story or maybe we'll do a, a podcast in the future about uh, some of the things that MLS, well, some of the things that they need to do, they won't do. But so, what what will they cook up for next year? We'll have to wait and see on that one. Contact, let's move on to uh, listener mailbag. We've got a, a bunch of great uh, comments from our listeners. First up is somebody that you know, uh, and many of our uh, listeners and, and viewers will know. It's Dave Johnson. Uh, who's been a commentator for Major League Soccer for many years, including DC United. But uh, Dave Johnson wants to talk to us about uh, VAR. He says, football is supposed to be spontaneous. It's about flow and fun, not drawing lines on computers to determine if a player is millimeters offside. Benefit should go to the attacker. VAR should not be an extra defender. <laughs> the Arsene Wenger proposal uh, should be highlighted more, I believe. The Wenger proposal is offside for the offside change is a, a player should only be offside uh, when their body, their entire body, is ahead of the last defender's line. I love and I am concerned for the future of the game. Beautiful moments should not be destroyed because a toe is deemed to be offside. We saw a couple of those this weekend um, from around uh, world football. None as blatant as previous weeks. But um, there were a couple of instances too where it came down. I think I think um, Darwin Nunes for for Liverpool. There were a couple of calls where it looked like it was down to maybe not a toenail, but basically kind of you mean a few centimeters offside. And was it really or was he level? But Bacantic, what's your thoughts on on Dave Johnson's uh, uh, kind of push really for the Arsene Wenger proposal? I, I agree. I, I think that uh, advantage should always go to the runner, to the attacking player in that uh, position. So it should be the entire body or any playable part of the body. Uh, so I agree with Dave Johnson. And by the way, if you're in Maryland, check out Dave Johnson's team, Annapolis, uh, in NPSL. Uh, fantastic story this first year uh, for them. Uh, and they, they uh, were getting thousands and thousands of people to their games at the fourth division level in the United States. So not only love Dave Johnson as a commentator, he's also uh, a great co-owner of, of a soccer team in, in his uh, area in, in Maryland. And I remember this too about last week on last week's podcast that there were two points I wanted to share. And the second point I couldn't remember. I now remember what that second point was. 
And I was talking about VAR and how, number one, it's really could impact the Premier League uh, you mean, negatively by you mean, really kind of losing fans. The second point of that was that basically is that you're going to get less goals. So it's less exciting. There's so many close calls. And it seems like the Premier League more than others have VAR calls that are so close, but less goals at the end of the day, which is not a good thing. So mea culpa for me, I said last week, uh, uh, Italy has gotten it right more than England, even though there are as many VAR problem, uh, VAR, uh, VAR uh, interventions, it's quicker. Milan, Lecce at the end of this match the other uh, day, uh, yeah. no, that, that took three minutes to determine, two or three minutes to determine uh, to chalk off Lecce's apparent winning goal. Uh, so Milan yeah. escaped with a draw, but that took way too long. So uh, it's happening in other leagues also. Greg says, uh, good discussion on VAR, though it will never happen. I'd also love for it to be ditched. Uh, maybe an NFL or Major League Baseball style implementation would be better. Managers get two or three challenges per match. Offsides can be done via the system that UEFA uses for the UEFA Champions League. Yeah. And that was, and that was something, too, that, that, uh, that Kyle mentioned, too, in regards to last week's podcast. Kyle Fansler, who works for, of course, writes for World Soccer Talk. And he was saying that the more that the more that he watches VAR, it feels like you're watching an American football game, an NFL game, where I mean it just slows the game down so much that I mean the Spurs Chelsea game is probably one of the worst games I've watched. It's so frustrating. I mean it was entertaining, but it was so frustrating because got VAR got so involved. It, it, to me, it, it ruined the game in that one. Mercator says, uh, I do not agree with Kartik. Uh, it does not all even out in the end. That's a theoretical average. In fact, we know from looking at VAR decisions um, which teams benefit, benefit from more accurate decisions and which teams suffer. The points change is not equal. And yay, you can say what's a few points here and there, but then why bother coming out on any given day if no one cares about three points here and there? Um, actually, I think, uh, she misunderstood me. I, I am not saying VAR decisions even out. They don't. They, in fact, very clearly favor the bigger clubs, uh, since they've been, since VAR has been implemented. In Germany, uh, I would say Bayern won the league last year because of VAR. Uh, in, in England, it seems like, uh, even in spite of the Liverpool Spurs match and Liverpool getting an apology, Liverpool has, uh, benefited disproportionately, Manchester City has benefited disproportionately, uh, et cetera, et cetera, big clubs. What I'm saying is, absent VAR, refereeing decisions tend to even out over the course of a season. There may be exceptions. Now, this isn't a perfect thing, but if you take the subjectivity of VAR, which adds an extra layer of subjectivity, and when you add more subjectivity, you're always going to favor the, the bigger clubs. That's just mm -hmm. human nature. Um, yep. That um, and the teams that have really been hurt by VAR uh, this year, it's Luton, as I mentioned. It was Sheffield United a few years ago um, in in uh, the year they came up, even though they finished eighth that year, or eighth or ninth that year under Chris Wilder. They had several VAR decisions go against them. Um, I think refereeing decisions even out over a course of 38 games, not perfectly, not completely. Uh, no, nothing is completely even, but I think VAR has actually skewed the table. So I actually agree with her. VAR is a problem, and it clearly favors the big clubs. Uh, clearly. I, I, there's, I think there's ample evidence to... to, to uh, and in Spain also, I think uh, it's, it's, it's clearly favored Real Madrid and Barcelona, actually, uh, the implementation of VAR there. 
Uh, Chris Guardino says, when it comes to VAR, I have to agree with you that it slows down the game in general. It makes referees second-guess their decisions. This makes the game less enjoyable. It makes it less appealing for broadcasters because there is like 10 minutes of stoppage time due to the VAR stoppage. However, I think soccer should absolutely not go the route of baseball and begin the process of replacing the human referees with robots, even though many think robots would make better calls. I watched a few minor league baseball games this past summer uh, where this is being used, and the robot umpires made some absolutely awful calls that greatly affected the outcome of the game. That's really interesting, Kartik. Uh, I can imagine that that would create even more havoc and chaos yeah, if uh, the v, uh, if the automate, semi-automated offside technology was actually making wrong decisions, you mean just at that point just blow up the whole game? You mean it just this just end it here? Yeah, I think that there's uh, uh, referees understand time and circumstance. I know he's not everyone's favorite official. He's not my favorite official, but I think Anthony Taylor understood yesterday uh, foul calls on both ends. We saw how angry Pochettino was. Right, story. You know, didn't even shake Pep's hand. Didn't. Uh, uh, until Kyle Walker, his former player, came up to him, kind of calmed him down. But um, I understand why Taylor didn't call the foul on the foul on Sterling on one end or the foul on the other end. Uh, one of the Man City players was fouled uh, because at that point in the match, um, you give you make one call that maybe you wouldn't have made earlier in the match. Um, that decides it. Uh, so a robot automated technology won't kind of get that time in context. So that's my, that's a real yeah, concern. That's a good point, Kartik. Because there, there are some games too where, I mean, to me, offside is offside. But, and to me, I, I think it was Jamie Carragher this week that said that basically get rid of R and just use goal line, goal line technology and then semi-automated offside technology and, and that's it. Leave the rest of the referees and have the referees, I mean, working with IFAB and the leagues, fix it. All right, just a few more to go. Uh, Alejandro talks, wants to talk about Peacock. Alejandro says, uh, as for the quality of streams, Peacock should have 4K just like on cable for select Premier League matches. I'm happy with the current quality, but it would be great to have that on Peacock. Also, NBC should expand their cable 4K to other platforms, such as Sling, which I watch USA Network on. Uh, Portuguese wants to talk to us about CBS. I agree with your comments about the joking on CBS, but no mention of the nonsense of ESPN FC, especially with those hacks, <laughs> Dan Thomas and Craig Burley. But I, I, I think, you mean, so I don't know. I think it's, you mean like, so with the CBS one with Micah Richards, sometimes it it's goes off the charts, kind of like, we're not even talking about football, right? He's just laughing about something completely. that has nothing to do with what we're watching, basically. At least with Dan Thomas and Craig Burley, Unless it's about Steve Nichol, you mean it's still we're talking about soccer, but yeah, yeah, it's football focused, and I, I think hack is uh, opposite of what they are. I mean, I think they're so laser focused. Dan Thomas is so laser focused. Maybe people don't like some of the questions he asks. That to me is a big asset because he's not—he's the opposite of a hack. He's going to ask the tough, tough questions, and Burley's going to give that tough opinion. I do agree at times Burley gets into the weeds with things and gets off uh, off on tangents. And uh, then that prevents uh, uh, others maybe from, from giving their opinions. But, I mean, they it's the complete opposite of the way CBS handles things, where uh, I think 
if anything, it might be too critical at times, right? You know, yeah. you know, when you go there, you're going to get real hard hitting opinions. Um, whereas on CBS, you don't know one way or another. Um, though, you know, at times, uh, uh, you get, you get little nuggets, uh, from, from these, uh, from these commentators in the studio. I, uh, yesterday being a Man City fan was furious that we didn't see John Stones. I, I wasn't on Twitter, so I wasn't reacting on Twitter, but I was saying it privately to people on WhatsApp. And that's the first point Robbie Earl made back in the studio. And I know I criticized him uh, the last couple of weeks, but that to me is a guy watching the game and giving one piece of information uh, against high pressing teams. Uh, Pep has lost to Pochettino a bunch of times when Pochettino was at Spurs. Uh, this has been a constant problem for City. I think Stones is the right guy to kind of break that high line, high press uh, with his with his passing out of the back. Uh, so, uh, you know, there are times that maybe people who don't know their clubs as well or know the clubs as well, commentators are giving really good points in the studio. And because you don't know as much about that club, you think it's just a fluff. Yeah. And uh, I, I give Rob Euro a lot of credit for yesterday. Yeah, definitely credit uh, where credit is due for sure. Uh, two more comments. And so, sometimes, Kartik, I, I feel that we should get royalties from Football Americas and from CBS Sports because some of the topics we bring up on this podcast are then discussed uh, at length, <laughs> uh, analyzed on, on those shows. Uh, Jake mentions, for example, Jake mentions, uh, could it be that American, this is talking about your point last week about uh, it seems to be American players playing in Europe are getting injured more than others. Uh, yeah. Jake says, could it be that American players who are getting injured more because of the wear and tear from travel back and forth to North America? I don't follow Canadian or South American teams closely enough to know if they're affected as much as we are. Uh, I purposely did not include Mexico since the bulk of their team plays in Mexico. Perhaps Canada is in between the U.S. and Mexico on that front. Brazil or Argentina might be the best analogs. Appreciate the show as always, guys. And and the reason I mentioned that too is because... Um, it was actually Jesse Marsh that had a, I'm not sure if you saw this, Kartik, on, on last week on CBS Sports. And I think Kate Abdo asked the question. Kate said, hey, what is the deal with these USMNT players? Why are they getting injured so much uh, in Europe? And, and Jesse Marsh had some good analysis about that, uh, I think, straight from, from, from your mouth, Kartik. Yeah. Uh, the Canadian, uh, to, to your, to your uh, uh, question, Jake, uh, Canadian, Canada has all sorts of injury problems, too. So it and it's largely guys playing in Europe. So I think maybe there's a correlation. I hadn't thought about it before uh, until this point was raised. But yeah, it may have something to do with travel. Uh, Mexico, I don't follow their player pool as closely. I used to, but I don't anymore. Uh, but with Canada, certainly Canada, Canada and the U.S. seem to have disproportionate numbers of injuries and at critical times. And uh, I, both of those countries always have one or two guys who are who are key that are injured and they're key guys that play in Europe. So that is actually a, a good point in terms of uh, Argentina. Um, they don't have as many injuries. Uh, they've had some, I mean, they, they obviously have had some, but not a disproportionate number. Uh, Brazil. I don't know. I don't know the, uh, now I people, people I'm not biased. It's just, you know, uh, everything's cyclical. I can't even tell you who's in the Brazilian player pool. So I don't know who plays for Brazil. Argentina, I know their national team backward and forward and know the guys that are in the pool that aren't necessarily playing. So uh, I can assess the Argentine pool and they don't have a disproportionate number of injuries. Uh, their guys are all high-level guys. So maybe their guys are fitter also. 
maybe Argentine players are, are, are as good as they are because they also have carry a higher level of fitness. Their training regimen is, is stronger. You have yeah. to consider all those things. Yeah, and, and that's the point that Jesse Marsh had mentioned too as far as kind of questioning whether or not the fitness levels and, and the kind of the, the training, uh, a lot of these USMNT players uh, are not used to having such high level, basically having a game, you mean kind of a, a Saturday, Wednesday, you mean Sunday, nonstop throughout the league. I mean, three kind of major games if you're playing in Europe, uh, a lot of traveling, um, you mean the training and everything involved. There's a lot of, it's it's real, it's it's tough, right? It's physically, it's demanding. Uh, so you have to be at peak levels in order to actually uh, stay fit. Um, yeah, they're and, very and, few. and the travel doesn't help at all either. Yeah, there are very few American players that I've seen stay consistently uh, at a high level, play really well week in, week out uh, in Europe the last few years. As much as we talk about some of these guys being a golden generation, I don't see it week in, week out. Uh, Joe Scaly this year, a guy I've criticized in the past, actually has looked quite good for Muchen Glabach. I think he's he's finding his stride, so maybe he's a guy to watch. Uh, and he was really good the other night on Friday yeah, he, night. He just jinxed him, Kartik. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> All right, last comment. And this is from Dave. Dave wants to talk to you about uh, Emma Hayes. I'm very interested in a dive on your perspectives on the Emma Hayes USN, USWNT hiring. Will she actually be empowered to make real changes? I've really, I have low confidence in uh, Matt Crocker and the crew, given the Berhalter rehire. My default reaction is to fear that Hayes will be restricted or other, otherwise constrained from doing a proper overhaul. Hopefully, I am wrong. Kartik, uh, one of the things we saw from the NWSL final is there's still a lot of really you know, amazing US uh, WNT talent coming through the system. Uh, Mitch Post is one example of many, even Lynn Williams, etc. So there's lots of things to be hopeful for. But do you think Emma will be given the keys to really make the overhaul necessary to bring the US, uh, the US women's team back up into kind of their pole position? Yeah, and Alyssa Thompson actually got f- uh, featured in Bloomberg Business Week two weeks ago as one of the rising stars in American society, um, which was wow. really cool to see a soccer player featured uh, there. Uh, yeah, I-, I have this question, Dave, also, because Emma Hayes is the right hire. She's the right person. I have so much respect for her. I think she's, as I've said before, one of the top coaches in the world, either men's or women's. But the U.S. Soccer Federation has a history of not letting coaches do their job, of, of uh, battling with coaches. That's why you just mentioned Jesse Marsh. That's why Jesse Marsh never would have fit in the culture of the U.S. Uh, men's soccer team and U.S. Men's, uh, U.S. Soccer Federation because he, he, he's, he's outspoken. He's a guy that wants to make changes. He's a reformer. Uh, he would have clashed with Matt Crocker and his superiors if he had been hired instead of Greg Berhalter. Bob Bradley used to clash with them a lot. I know this might be news to people. Uh, I've said it for years on Twitter, uh, and um, uh, the late, great Grant Wall reported it repeatedly that internally uh, Bob Bradley was pushing back, which is probably why he didn't get quite the rope Bruce Arena got and some of the other and Burhalter got, right? That's mm-hmm. why Bradley won bad tournament. It wasn't even a bad tournament. He got to the finals, uh, the Gold Cup. He's gone, gone the next day because uh, he, he was pushing for reform. So this, there's a culture of conformity within the Federation, Dave. I completely agree with that. My hope is because Emma Hayes has been hired and we know what a imp- big name she is, that she 
would have gotten the guarantees out of the Federation that um, she will have final say. She can uh, get rid of the sacred cows. She makes the player selections. She uh, changes the training regimen. She maybe has some input in the venues where matches are played. This is another issue. Uh, especially with the U.S. women, right? Uh, matches are taking places and are scheduled against certain opponents at home in order to maximize uh, uh, fans and, and, and ticket sales revenue, yeah. right? That, that All of that has to stop if we're serious about changing this thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm concerned. Uh, my impressions of Matt Crocker, they're not just based on the Burhalter hire. They're based on other things I know uh, are not positive. Uh, I'll say that flat out. Uh, but maybe this is him turning over a new leaf. Maybe J.T. Baston and Cindy Parlo-Cohn, who are his superiors um, mm -hmm. at the U.S. Soccer Federation, maybe they put their foot down. And maybe they're ready to make some changes uh, in the way things operate. Kate Mark Graff, who's now out as the technical director on the women's side, she was someone who I think would have had a lot of uh, positive changes put in place if she had had the opportunity. So... Um, it's not in, in the past, they've hired some of the right people. I think she was the right hire. Um, she never implemented her vision. Now, maybe, uh, her mistake was Watko, uh, you know, in fairness. Okay. Maybe, maybe that, that, that's on her, but, um, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of confidence, but Emma Hayes is fantastic. And if she gets the opportunity to do the things she can do, I think the U S is back in business. Yeah. I think Vlako was undone by, I mean, injuries from the women's yeah, world cup for sure. You know, I mean, definitely, and and some of it player player power in terms of probably playing some players that maybe shouldn't have been starting. But the, the the thing, the last point I have is that the same argument I have about Emma Hayes is the same argument I have about Greg Berhalter in that they need to be playing top level countries when they're having friendlies. It shouldn't be one of those things where the USMNT uh, team is playing Uzbekistan or Oman, or it's the U US uh, US women playing. South Africa on a Thursday and then playing them again on a Tuesday. You mean you really need to be traveling a lot more, probably to Europe, to other countries, away games, not focus so much on the revenue, but focused on how to improve the team because the revenue will come you know, afterwards. The, the U.S. women, it's even worse, right? I mean, they, yeah. you're right. They play, they'll play uh, someone twice and there'll be some minnow. Uh, they need to go to Japan. They need to go to Australia. They need to go to Europe yeah. and play friendlies. Right. Um, and... Uh, I, she believes now is a limitation on us because um, European countries aren't traveling for she believes anymore. They've got their own competitions uh, in Europe during the same international break. And um, we're really limited with who we can bring. I think Japan's a top level country we can bring over. But other than that, eh, um, yeah. and, and uh, uh, I don't think we're getting the, I think this showed coming into uh, this World Cup uh, talking about Vlatko. Uh, the U.S. was not good uh, right. for a year right. before the World Cup. Right. But we kept ready. getting fooled by who we were playing. But if we played in England or if we played in Japan or we played in Australia, there were obvious limitations uh, you saw in the side uh, that uh, weren't exploited by a lot of the – playing New Zealand was a joke uh, at, at home, right? Uh, even yeah. the trip to New Zealand was a joke. I mean that was kind of to get you prepared, but still. Uh, you have to play better competition. Same, yeah, no, same thing for the men going into the men's yeah. World Cup. As far as a lot of those friendlies were like, you mean against weaker opposition that made us look really good or made us look okay. Uh, the warning signs were going off before the the, the actual. You mean the plane uh, took off to go to Qatar? Because uh, but, but they but they did okay. 
right? They got five points and got out of a tough group. Uh, or four points, five points. I can't remember what they got. Five points. Uh, the U.S. women uh, completely underachieved. They didn't play well in one game. Um, so I, wow. I don't uh -huh. equate the two. I mean, the U.S. men think... outplayed England, okay? And, and, and the U.S. men... Uh, got a tough draw with the Netherlands. I think they were fine. I mean, I, I don't buy into all no, this all fire no. Berhalter stuff. But I, mean, um, US I think could, they, US I think they be... overachieved considering the players they have. But the women, forget it. It was terrible. Yeah. No, the men couldn't beat Wales, right? Now, close, game, bad, yeah. close game with Iran. I mean, really, Iran really close game. Iran is good, game. though. Iran was a and, solid. And that then, was a good win. And then outclassed against the Netherlands. You know, yeah. So, I don't know. <laughs> All right, guys. Yeah, the Wales um, game. You, you have a point on the Wales game, and they should not have. They shouldn't have gotten a point in that game. They should have lost that game. So that's well. They should have won that game. Really, I mean, if you look at the, I don't know. Wales is. I'm a saying Wales should have won. I'm saying Wales should have won. No, no, no. I'm saying that US should have won that game. Oh, okay. I thought <laughs> the right. second half Wales dominated, but that's okay. <laughs> All right. So, listeners, if you do have any feedback for us, any questions, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you guys are really kind of what drives this show. Uh, so let us know. There's a bunch of different ways you can get in touch with us. You can go uh, to the website, worldsoccertalk.com, and click on the podcasts and then leave your comments in the most recent episode. You can go ahead and uh, hit us up on email, which is web at worldsoccertalk.com. You can go to Twitter at worldsoccertalk and tweet us there. You can go to youtube.com slash worldsoccertalk. Uh, there, you post a comment there. There's uh, the voicemail. 561-247-4625. And then last but not least, um, I think I mentioned facebook.com slash World Soccer Talk. Kartik, what about you? How can they reach out to you or, or find they you on Beyond the 90? Yeah, beyondthe90.substack.com. Uh, you can, uh, we, by the way, we don't, just to a topic on this podcast, we don't write about the Bundesliga anymore because um, uh, we have a newsletter which has about 400 subscribers. Uh, and if we write about some USL topic or some controversial lower division topic, it will get twice as many as the 400, right? There'll be 800 views or something, 900 views. Uh, you write about the Bundesliga, you get like 50 people. <laughs> yeah. 400 people get it. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, so I mean, again, we love the Bundesliga. It's just that we it love just the seems, Bundesliga, but it just seems. I mean, people are not not interested. They They're, get they'll get the email from Beyond the Ninety. They just hit delete because I can see all the numbers. And any time yeah. we've written about the Bundesliga, that's what happens. So anyway, Beyond the Ninety Substack.com. Um, and because I want to run about the Bundesliga personally because it's my favorite league. So understand, Chris and I are big fans of the Bundesliga. And we're not yeah. we're not slagging it off. We're just giving a reality check. Uh, the market has decided that that's not a great league uh, to watch in this country for whatever reason. Uh, Beyondthe90.substack.com, KKFLA737 on Twitter. You can always DM me uh, and get in touch and uh, uh, look forward to interacting with everybody. Your feedback has been wonderful the last couple of weeks. All right. Enjoy your football. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.